You are listening to Creation Talk, a creation.com podcast, proclaiming the truth to honor the Creator while providing credible answers. Well, welcome to part two of our discussion about Egypt and the Bible. And today we're going to discuss who is the Pharaoh of the Exodus. Uh, now, that's not a question, Gary, that we want to be dogmatic about. I'm Keaton Halley, by the way, here with Gary Bates, the CEO of our U.S. office, Creation Ministries International. Um, and of course, on this subject of Egypt and the Bible, there's a, a range of opinions out there. Um, we don't want to be too assertive, but we're, we're going to just toss some things out for people to consider. Today, well, right? well, to be honest, Kate, and I almost don't want to go there because because <laughs> uh, everybody does have an opinion yeah. and everyone tends to get dogmatic about their opinion. I think one of the reasons why, in terms of biblical history, there's an awful lot at stake Yeah, because the Bible mentions that the Hebrews were in captivity. Um, what for? How long? Now, there's a there's yeah. a topic. Four hundred or was it two hundred years? Yeah, actually, right. in Egypt, uh, we've got articles on our website about that. Not the topic of discussion today, but that would affect the chronology and the timing of when the Hebrews were in Egypt, etc. Yeah. Now, in part one, we discussed synchronisms in Egypt with the Bible, and we said particularly from the nineteenth dynasty, which is in the New Kingdom, forward. Uh, there's the mention of Israel. There are mentions of kings like uh, Shishak, right. which who we think was Shoshank, Taharka, Necho, Hophra, etc. But for those big ticket items, when the nation is being formed under captivity, the Israeli nation is being formed under captivity in Egypt, uh, in the first five books of the Bible, um, you know, which we presume Moses authored, Egypt's mentioned 291 times, to my calculation, 79 times in Genesis alone, yet Pharaoh's name is not mentioned by name uh, even once. That's right. Yeah. It's not until Solomon's time that you have this Pharaoh named Shishak, but in Genesis and Exodus, it just says Pharaoh and doesn't doesn't clearly spell out who that Pharaoh is. And so that leads to more controversy. But we've come across some reasons why um, Moses might have done it that way and not named the Pharaoh explicitly. Yeah. Now, this is, I have to say, one of the areas I think Christian researchers, uh, just looking at dates and chronological re um, revisions, have to be careful of. And it's something you and I, looking into this, have understood You know, more and more. I've been there. I've seen the stuff. And when you actually see the artifacts and they're explained to you, you know, the temples and the tombs are basically you know, huge pieces of propaganda to deify the kings of the time and also... Uh, their favor with the gods, their religious system ruled over Egypt for a long, long period of time. Well, interestingly, in Acts 7, 21, uh, 20, verses 21, 22, it, it tells us that Moses was instructed in the wisdom of the Egyptians. When he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in words and deeds. It kind of gives the impression and I think rightly so, that he was raised in the royal household. Yeah, he'd be familiar with the culture, therefore. Yeah. And so in Egyptian culture, the names are really, really important to the pharaohs. They believed heavily, obviously, in the afterlife. So their names were embedded in something called a cartouche. This is an oval name ring. And that name needed to exist in this world to get people to phonetically say it out, that would help them exist in the afterlife. In fact, 
one of the worst things you could do to a previous king, and some people, some later pharaohs did this, was to chisel their name out yeah. of their tombs and their, their temples because they were saying, we don't want you to exist. Yeah in the afterlife. To erase them. <laughs> um, they built statues of themselves. This is the belief that when they were mummified in their tombs, their spirit would leave, enter into the statues. So their physical image had to be portrayed as well as their name. And of course, we all know that they preserved their body along with their personal possessions because their body needed to continue to exist in this life, right. to exist in the afterlife. Now, what's all this got to do with Moses not mentioning um you know, the name of the Pharaoh at that particular time. Well, if you understand Egyptian history, people often say, well, how come there's no mention of the Hebrews in Egypt? But if you understand it, you actually wouldn't expect it because this was a, a slave class or an underclass that existed in Egypt. I mean, you know, you know, if you were my mortal enemy, Keaton, of course yeah. you're not. <laughs> I mean, but am I going to write your name as an inscription on my tomb after mm -hmm. I die? Yeah. Why would I? Especially if they're they were embarrassed after the events of the Exodus as well. You know, they're they're not likely to record these embarrassing um, yeah. defeats. And again, when you look at some of the artifacts left behind, even the other kings of other nations that pharaohs or Egypt interacted with, who were friendly to them they never mentioned their name. Yeah. So even the friendly ones. So, you know, you, you might see somebody mentioned as the despicable king of the Hittites. Right. But you're not going to see his name mentioned because you would be giving credit. You might be mm. helping that person to exist in the afterlife and so on. So they generally regarded everybody who was non-Egyptian as an underclass. Um, and they believed that they were obviously blessed because of the Nile and, uh, and the great wealth that they had there. Yeah. But there's another aspect, isn't there, about uh, where the term pharaoh yeah. comes from, what it means. Right. It wasn't actually a term that was used of pharaoh originally, of the, the king. Mm. It was uh, it just meant great house. I great think. house, right? yeah. yeah. Um, until the 18th dynasty is the first time um, when it began to be used of the pharaoh. Um, but then also a number of scholars I read have, have pointed out, including uh, James Hoffmeyer in his book, Israel in Egypt, he says that it was Egyptian practice not to join the name Pharaoh to the name of the king. So you, like you would write of the king, you would have his name in cartouches all over the place, mm. um, or you'd use the term Pharaoh, but not putting the two together, like saying Pharaoh, Hafra, Pharaoh, Shishak, and Correct. so forth. Um, here's a quote from Hoffmeyer from page 87 of his book, Israel in Egypt. He says, from its inception until that is in 18th dynasty, right? From the inception of the term Pharaoh used of the king, until the 10th century BC, the term Pharaoh stood alone without juxtaposed personal name. And he says this precise practice is found in the Old Testament. So we see, for example, uh, it's not until Pharaoh Necho and Hophra that mm. they're called that Pharaoh Necho, Pharaoh Hophra. Exactly. Prior to Shishak, you don't have the names of the kings at all. And uh, uh, so the biblical practice seems to there reflect um, yeah. what the Egyptians were doing. So in short, we could say all of that is to say that Moses, who was raised in the ways of the Egyptians, the Egyptians are not going to mention foreign kings and rulers uh, to give them any credit. Yeah. And so Moses was possibly giving them a taste of their own medicine. That's right. I'm not, you know, you, you've become our enemy. You enslaved the nation. I'm not going to put your name, name there. I'm just going to call you Pharaoh, which just means the great house or the rule of the Pharaoh, something like that. Now, the Bible, we believe, as evangelicals, does give us the date of the Exodus. We mentioned this in part one, if people want to go and have a look back. 
And uh, we get our reference from 1 Kings uh, 6.1. People can go to an article I've written, and the link is below, on Egyptian chronology. And it gives us this great big picture of Egyptian culture and and a kind of a a guide, if you like, of how we should interpret uh, the information, etc. Now, the 1446, we've said, uh, is the date that we would get from the Bible, we would place that, you know, can we just pick a date and stick it into Egyptian history? Well, the earlier on in Egyptian history, no, but in part one, we said these later dates, the New Kingdom, the Third Intermediate Period, the Roman occupation, uh, sorry, the Greek occupation, we believe those dates to be relatively accurate, possibly within a few tens of yeah. years. And, and because there's a lot of synchronisms that go mm. back to that time. Um, and should we talk, Gary, just briefly about how uh, we do derive that date of around 1446 yeah. BC? Yeah. yeah. Because there's a number of ways. You mentioned First uh, Kings six one. Three ways. Us, yeah. Um, so that 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 first verse is the the simplest that you can just you know get out a calculator. Um, since um, it is acknowledged generally that Solomon began to reign in 970 BC. Mm-hmm. Um, he began to build the temple four years later, 966 BC, or I think that's when it was completed, 966 BC. Um, 480 years prior to that was when the Exodus occurred, according to that verse, and you just add 480 to 966 as you're going backwards, the dates BC, right? Then you arrive at 1446. It's within one year, depending upon what time of the year the the temple was completed. So there's a little bit of wiggle room there, but, you know, roughly 1450 BC. Yeah. And... That's called the early date. Some people want to say, no, the Exodus took place later in the time of Ramses, just based on the name Ramses. The Israelites built the store cities of Pi-Ramses, for example. But um, that could easily just be um, something that was updated in the text, the earlier name of that location. It went by a number of different ra- names, like right. Avaris. Um, so they they built there, but there were buildings prior to the time of Ramses II. But some of the other ways, you know, you've got Judges 11.26 – seems to reinforce the straightforward understanding of First Kings 6.1 because you have this, um, the time of the judges, a man named Jephthah mentions that several hundred years the Israelites have already been in the land. And that only makes sense if that was a literal 480 years between the Exodus and Solomon. Yep, correct. So again, uh, people can actually find that in that article I mentioned on Egyptian chronology on our website. But it's also in a booklet we have yes. called Tour Egypt, which we specially put together for our three upcoming tours later uh, this year. Guided tours. Keaton's going to be one of our hosts, along with myself and Dr. Robert Carter and Gavin Cox from our UK office. Yeah. So why don't we talk about, um, let's name <laughs> the pharaoh then that we will put out there as a candidate um, that we think is most likely to be the, the pharaoh. All the right. Accident. So we're saying the New Kingdom dates, right, which is 18th dynasty uh, up to the um, the uh, 19th dynasty, we think are fairly, fairly accurate. There might be a few tens of years of wiggle room. 1446 would put it somewhere in that New Kingdom period. Yeah. Then you've got to have a look at the actual uh, characters mm-hmm. in the Bible. So, for example, um, when we uh, look at the name Moses, mm-hmm. the 18th dynasty is actually known as the Tutmosed dynasty because right. there was a Tutmosis one, two, three. Yeah, and so, Amos and yeah. yeah, all these guys have like Moses as part of their name, you know. So it it 
does seem to fit with Moses himself being in that time period. Yeah. You know, and, and in the Bible, you know, it does talk about Moses being named because his, his name sounds like drawn out, that he's drawn out of the Nile. That's what it sounds like in Hebrew, but there also seems to be, most scholars would say, a connection between uh, that his name actually is Egyptian in origin as well. So it could have meaning in both Egyptian and Hebrew. Yeah. So uh, let's throw it out there. We think uh, as a candidate, and uh, we I first learned of this, I have to give credit to uh, Dr. Douglas Petrovich, mm-hmm. who, uh, who wrote about Amenhotep II possibly being the pharaoh of the Exodus. So we've got a rough time frame, okay, middle of the New Kingdom. Yeah. Then he, we've got he, to look... He's the middle of the 18th dynasty specifically. Yeah. yeah but then the we've second. got to look at the biblical evidence. Yeah. What are the descriptions of the events and the pharaoh happening at the time. Well, we mentioned earlier, Moses was raised in a royal court. He killed an Egyptian. He had to go and escape. Later on, it tells us in the New Testament, after he spends 40 years in in the Midian, in Midian, an angel speaks to him and says, go back. Those who tried to kill you are now dead after 40 years. So in the whole of the new kingdom, there are only two kings who reigned more than 40 years. Tutmosis III, the Napoleon of Egypt, mm. and Ramses II, Ramses the Great. Now, we've already mentioned there are two Exodus ideas, right? The yeah, early the, Exodus, the late Exodus, which applies to Ramses II. But then we've got to have a look at the events surrounding the Exodus. Yeah. Okay? So when the 10th plague occurs, it kills the firstborn of all of Egypt. Oh, well, before you go there, let, let me just make sure people are following this point you're making about Tutmosis III. Yeah. So he was the predecessor of Amenhotep II, right? So His in the father. Exodus account, you, you've got more than one pharaoh involved because mm-hmm. the original, you know, Moses killed an Egyptian, then he flees from pharaoh. Um, that pharaoh passed away before Moses returned. Uh, so the, the pharaoh of the oppression, we would say, fits with Tutmosis III because he reigned for that 40 years and then finally passed away. He would be the one who perished before Moses returned. Yeah, so when the one that died, when the angel's saying, hey, those who tried to kill. You know, yes. if Moses was raised in royal courts, you would presume that only really a pharaoh would have the authority to kill a member, you know, or order the execution of a you know, member of the royal yeah. household. So Amenhotep II is the son of Tutmosis III. Right. When the 10th plague comes, the pharaoh of the Exodus... Um, does not die in the 10th plague. Right. Which means he cannot be a firstborn son because it wasn't only the babies who were killed in that in that 10th plague, right? It was all firstborn sons. Yeah. And guess what? Amenhotep II is not the firstborn son of Tutmosis III. Right. So then we've got to have a look at the children of Amenhotep II, right? Because if the uh, 10th plague comes to fruition... Amenhotep II's firstborn son cannot inherit the throne. And guess what? He didn't. Yeah. Because the Bible explicitly says there again that God said he he would kill the firstborn son of Pharaoh. So we know that Pharaoh himself had a son. Um, That son died in the 10th plague and therefore he could not inherit the throne. And how do we know that uh, this... The successor of Amenhotep II, who was uh, Moses IV, right? Correct. Well, he, in, How do we know he's not a firstborn son? Yeah, between the pores of the Great Sphinx up in uh, modern-day Cairo, there's the dream stellar of Tutmosis yeah. IV, and he claims that he fell asleep uh, between the uh, pores of the Sphinx, and God spoke to him and said, Behold thou me, my son Tutmosis, I am thy father, 
I will give thee my kingdom upon the earth as the head of the living. They shall wear the white crown and the red crown, which is the jewel crown of all of Egypt. Now, it's very interesting that prophecy of, or that dream yeah, comes to, <laughs> to Moses the fourth at a time when he possibly obviously was not king and wasn't expecting to be king. Right. Yeah. Why would he need to be appointed king by the Sphinx if he was already destined for the throne? And e so, exactly. Uh, even secular scholars, yeah, agree. He, he's not the firstborn. So that tends to fit the biblical evidence. The Pharaoh of the Exodus has to be a secondborn son and his secondborn son has to inherit the throne. And that's what we see uh, with Amenhotep the second. Yeah. Um, you can go to the Egyptian museum and actually see Amenhotep the second's mummy there. Yeah. Now, How I mentioned that. that we have we have the body of this man that we're alleging could be the Pharaoh of the Exodus. But yeah, there's a problem. <laughs> well, people think there's a problem because yeah. they say didn't Pharaoh drown in the Red Sea? Right. Actually, scripture never says that. Let me read out a few passages there. Exodus 14, 17 says, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And then in 14, Exodus 14, 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea and all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen perished. And then in Psalm 136, verse 15, it says he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. And the Hebrew verb there in that uh, passage in Psalms literally means to shake off or to brush off. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And of course, it does not say all of his particular army. So yeah. we just got to be careful there of making sure we only say what scripture says right. and not read too much more uh, into it. And I have to say, in my recent trip there in December, when I went into the mummy's room, they've got a brand new. Uh, museum just dedicated to the mummies. And I looked at Tut Moses III, his mummy, and Amenhotep II, and They're now understanding what I'm doing. And it literally just made my spine tingle because yeah. I'm thinking, am I looking at the face of this man who could, who Moses and Aaron could have stood yeah. before? Yeah. Quite amazing when you think about it. Yep. Well, why don't we also talk about there is additional evidence from this time period in the region where the Bible says that the Israelites were living when they were in Egypt or they were in the Delta, right? The land of Goshen. They specifically built these um, store cities, it says, of uh, Pithom and uh, Piramses, uh, which, by the way, the Bible never says that the Israelites built the pyramids. Some people yeah. have that misunderstanding. They, but they didn't build the pyramids. They, folks, used, they used mud bricks, not stones. And most, you know, the big pyramids pyramids built out of stones, but they, they built up these particular cities. And um, we know where the city of Ramses is for certain. We may also have a good idea of where Pithom was located. Um, but uh, when you look at this time period, the same time as uh, Amenhotep II, um, there is a royal complex that's been discovered in the 1990s there at what, what's called Avaris back then, or I think even... Um, it had a name slightly later called Peru Nefer, but it's right on a, a tributary of the the Nile mm -hmm. um, in the Delta. So it was like a naval port. Correct. And we found uh, loads of evidence for Asiatic peoples living there, which is a group that would include the Israelites, peoples from the, the region of Canaan. Mm -hmm. And this 13-acre royal complex would be a place where the Pharaoh resided, meaning that if Pharaoh spent time there, that Moses could have quick access going back and forth between Pharaoh and the people, you know, bringing the message. And so it's not implausible at all that, you know, Moses wouldn't have to travel this vast distance to get down 
further into the you know southern part of the country, northern Egypt, Correct. or upper Egypt, I mean. Now, that uh, land known as uh, Avaris or Avaris was under the Hyksos rule. This is the second intermediate period. And earlier on at the tomb of Beni Hassan, you can see pictures at the end of the Middle Kingdom or the beginning of the second interperiod where it's recorded of Asiatics coming into Egypt. Now, what happened is the Hyksos eventually ruled all of yeah. Egypt. The native Egyptians themselves were relegated to central Egypt, uh, what we call Luxor today or Thebes. Uh, and then, as we mentioned in the first episode, Amos, the mm -hmm. first king of the 18th dynasty, he ejected the Hyksos. Yes, and this finally is all prior, the prior to the time of the Exodus that you're talking, you're backing yeah. up and saying, yeah. So what our view is, is that, and it's held by a lot of other uh, uh, Christian scholars, is that the Hebrews found special favor or, you know, uh, were given special status, which is what the Bible indicates. They were yeah. given the best in the land, it says, of Ramses. Mm -hmm. But the first Ramesside king does not come along until the 19th dynasty. Right. So how can you have a land called Ramses even before, you know, the first king named Ramses ever exists? Yeah. And we believe that this is actually a scribal update later on. Uh, in our in our copies of uh, you know from the original text, which is updating, and this is what the Bible has done in a, a few occasions, yeah. to be more contemporaneous, uh, you know, with the readers of the day, so yeah. they would recognise that place. So this land that the uh, Israelites or the Hebrews existed in, possibly under a Hyksos pharaoh, not a native Egyptian pharaoh, the Hyksos were expelled. Amos arise arises and he is possibly the pharaoh who did not know or recognize Joseph. And now they are put to basically work as slaves mm -hmm. uh, from that particular period. And as you said, in that area, there's lots of evidence there that groups of Asiatics and, uh, and even depictions of possibly people looking, you know, even uh, Semitic mm -hmm. uh, in their appearance uh, existed there. And also, I mentioned Dr. Douglas Petrovich. He's actually uh, written a, an article in the Egyptian, uh, in the Journal of uh, Egyptology, about the rapid abandonment mm. of of Avaris during the reign of Amenhotep II. Yeah, yeah, he he at least gives some arguments that that this um, departure, where this the site is abandoned, essentially, um, that it that it ought to be dated to that time period, so people might right. be able to find and check out that article. So some more interesting information. We mentioned Tutmosis III, so middle 18th dynasty. He embarks upon a different fallen policy. He goes into the Levant and he captures all of these nations rather than wait to be invaded by you know, the likes of the Hyksos yes. ever again. Now, they call him the Napoleon of Egypt because he took on about 17 campaigns into the area you know, we might know now as the Middle East. And whenever like these military excursions, yeah, military excursions, yeah, he's, he's going and attacking other. <laughs> and whenever the pharaohs went into battle, they recorded their battles on their tombs, or more famously, they made additions to the temple of Karnak and Luxor, and they recorded what is literally called a booty list. Mm -hmm. And it says we brought back so much gold, so many you know golden doors and chests, etc. And of all of his seventeen campaigns, it describes the incredible wealth he brought back. But he only brought back, let me get this, uh, just over 2,000 people. And a lot of these were sons and daughters of the kings and the rulers in those places because he wanted to train them in Egyptian ways and send them back 
to create vassal states. Captives, essentially, uh, slaves of Egypt, basically, um, around, around 2000. Yeah. But his son, Amenhotep II, conducts campaigns into the, to the same area, and he conducts two, at the most possibly three, but there seems to be a, distinct, far fewer. <laughs> a distinct change in policy because he brings back 101,000 people. In other words, the focus of his campaigns is not wealth, mm. gold, it's people. And why do we think that might be? <laughs> well, he's, if the exodus occurred during his reign, then he would have just lost this massive um, slave labor force. And so this, this would be consistent, you know, just saying that he, he needed to acquire new slaves to replace the Israelites. Yeah. Now, if you go back to part one of this uh, podcast, we mentioned about the Amarna letters. So during the reign of the grandson of Amenhotep II, this is uh, Amenhotep III, and his son, uh, Akhenaten, they're getting these letters from these vassal states that then says the, Hapuru, the Habaru or the Aparu are taking over the lands that your fathers joined together. But Amenhotep III and Akhenaten seem to have no stomach <laughs> to go in there and venture in there. And we think, of course, mm. they, uh, they're probably not interested. But there seems to be, right at this period, a massive change in the whole religious system of Egypt with Amenhotep IV, who called himself Akhenaten. Yes, um, and scholars call him the first monotheist, in effect, right? Um, now, I mean, his um, his view of this one god, uh, he abandoned the, the more conventional, um, his worship of the god Amun, um, and instead worship the Aten, which is the sun, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a bit distinct from um, Mosaic religion, but s some people believe that there could be a, a connection here between recognizing that there is is one. Yeah. So certainly his father could have been alive, even as a young boy at the time of the Exodus. But you mentioned Amun, who became the main god at Thebes, but of course the Egyptians had thousands of gods. Yeah. So the big change here is he says, I'm moving away from Thebes. He starts a new capital at a place called Amarna. Yes. And he builds a brand new city called Akhetaten, the horizon of the Aten. It has open courts to allow the sun to come in. But not only that change, but in the depictions of himself, he depicts himself as a more realistic figure. He has pictures of, uh, you know, images of his children playing on his laps and he writes worship songs, almost like psalms, to the Aten. This is unheard of, uh, you know, prior to this particular time when the pharaohs would, you know, depict themselves holding the flail with one foot forward, you know, as mighty kind of warrior kings, uh, etc. So you wonder whether Akhenaten could have been influenced by the stories of the Exodus that only occurred a couple of generations before him. Now, all of this stuff is anecdotal, mm -hmm. but it helps us to kind of say, is there a period where this might fit? Yeah. Now, the son of Akhenaten is a very famous pharaoh, yes. even though he wasn't <laughs> famous in Egyptian history. Uh, his name was uh, uh, Tutankhamun, or Tutankhamun, yeah. as we might say in English, but his original name was Tutankhamun. Aten. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But so he reverted back to the, I think the priests influenced him, right? And I would then, think so, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so it was just that one generation in Akhenaten's time. Uh, his son, King Tut, 
reverted yeah. back to the worship of Amun. Yeah, and this was uh, a very difficult period at the 18th, end of the 18th dynasty. Tutankhamun didn't reign for very long. His general Horemheb took over, and then it was one of his viziers who became the first king of the 19th dynasty, uh, Pa Ramesu, who became Ramses I. Mm. And then his son Seti I builds the king's list at Abydos. Okay. And what they're trying to do is legitimize them, themselves, this new dynasty, by having a king's list that goes all the way back even to the pre-dynastic, you know, god-king pharaohs. But there's one king in particular who's sadly absent from that list, and that is Akhen Akhenaten. Yeah. <laughs> so this is called memory washing, right? Erasing him uh, from history as well. So he was regarded by the Egyptians as basically... Um, a heretic, heretic. etc. Mm -hmm. Yeah, boy, we could even go on for this uh, with this particular subject for ages. As I said, anecdotal evidence. So summarizing, New Kingdom, 18th Dynasty onwards, we think those dates are fairly accurate within a few tens of years. The Bible gives us the date of the Exodus. We place that somewhere in the middle of the 18th Dynasty. Then we look at the biblical descriptions. Firstborn son of a, you know, if a firstborn yep. son's not going to survive, etc. And we think this fits the description of Amenhotep uh, II, yeah. et cetera. Yep. So it's certainly, you know, a controversial area. We published a range of views on our website, but um, this is the candidate that, that we want to put forward as our best our best guess. And again, if people, uh, we've kind of summarized this in this, uh, right. this particular Including booklet. Including more evidence that we, you know, mm. things that we didn't even have time to mention. But um, Well, we didn't even talk about the Pharaoh of Joseph's time. Yeah. But I gave a clue there that... They were living under a Hyksos king, likely found favor. So again, all covered in that booklet if you want to grab it. Yeah, very good. Well, thanks for uh, just having a conversation today, Gary. Hopefully people have enjoyed watching and we just encourage you, if you've liked this video, to subscribe, uh, get future updates, click the bell and comment below. We want to interact with you and hear your thoughts on this uh, subject as well. And you can find lots more at creation.com and in the, the links in the show notes. And so we'll just leave you with a conclusion that uh, there's good reason to trust the Bible as reliable history. Mm -hmm.